podcast is a member of WGPRN, wildgamesproductions.com. Good evening, everyone. This is Lost Heretic from the WGPRN forums. And tonight, I'm joined by Malleus to talk about Vampire the Masquerade, Vampire the Requiem, and the upcoming translation documents. So I'm going to be breaking this up into a couple sections. Uh, I want to talk about antagonists. I want to talk about uh, covenants. And I also want to talk about game mechanics. Because that's the real big thing about these translation documents, is that we're going to finally have a uh, an easy way to bring rules from one setting into the other. Do you, do you think this is to cater to people who have preference for one set of the the rules over another? Or is it just so like you can mix and match? Uh, it, it definitely covers both of the things, and, uh, of course, it's also so that White Wolf can make more money. I mean, they've had these people that are holdovers with the old War of the Darkness, and, uh, they definitely want to start making money off of them. And if we can grab books like, uh, Damnation City, or, uh, maybe Belial's Brood, which are both phenomenal books from what I've heard, and bring those over to the old setting... I mean, they'll make money, and we'll be really happy. Well, just think about going the other way, too. Think about the entire, the huge back catalog of information of books that have been produced for Vampire the Masquerade. And even aside, you know, from the little uh, mechanical nitty-gritty details, there's a whole lot of thematic, uh, thematic discussion going on behind, you know, what it is to be a vampire in Masquerade that could you know, very easily, very uh, translate into Requiem, very effectively, I believe, at least. Definitely, you're exactly right. I think we're going to be talking about, you know, some phenomenal books that'll uh, that'll be great and really help out people from the other game lines. So to uh, jump into it <clears throat> and talk about uh, antagonists, which would be great for Vampire the Masquerade, the two that clearly come to mind are Belial's Brood and Seven. And uh, just to start off with Belial's Brood, I think this is a really, really great thing to bring into Vampire the Masquerade. Because for those of you that are familiar with the original Vampire the Masquerade when it came out in 1991, the Sabbat sect was uh, portrayed, you know, some people call them vampire orcs, which is kind of goofy, but they kind of were. They were they were just evil, they were vicious, and they were also somewhat demonic. And when they released the Player's Guide to the Sabbat in 1992, they uh, changed them. There were some infernal elements and uh, this the struggle that they had with that, but they became more playable and less uh, horrific. Now, Belial's Brood kind of go back to that original demonic vampire feel, and they'll make a very good replacement for the uh, first edition Sabbat. I can think even, like, first right offhand, actually, the, the pandemonium of... Uh... Belial's Brood would fit perfectly in that description. Exactly, exactly. Now, Vampire the Masquerade did try to replace the uh, the Sabbat's demonic nature. They uh, they introduced the Bali in Vampire the Dark Ages, but uh, they don't really fit that well in the modern nights. Uh, they've got this very, very medieval, uh, blasphemous and heretical uh, element to them, which I just don't think fits as well. In the uh, like maybe the they're punk. too anachronistic to really 
belong in the the overall you know flavor of the the masquerade setting exactly they very much have this uh they want to corrupt innocence which which works perfectly in the uh, the dark ages setting but in the modern nights i mean everyone's getting corrupted left and right yeah. i mean you've already got the uh followers of set that kind of do that uh sort of thing so they don't really fit but Belial's brood is more um more in your face they have this very vicious element to them and i think they work very well more, we don't care, we're going to do this how we want to do this. Actually, have you seen, uh, have you seen, this is a terrible reference, but uh, have you seen the movie uh, 30 Days of Night? It's based off the graphic novel? No, I haven't. It's uh, kind of on my to-watch list. Well, the vampires in that movie actually reminded me a lot of Belial's Brood. So just to give people maybe an idea of uh, the type of brutality, you know, walk into your town, we're going to uh, feed off of you, we're going to terrorize you, then we're going to burn your town down and leave without a trace. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's definitely taken it to the extreme. Um, I'm not too familiar with how Bilio's Brood are portrayed in later Vampire the, Ma- uh, Vampire the Requiem supplements, mm. but uh, that could definitely work. And <clears throat> that would be a, uh, a very good antagonist to both the Sabat and the Camarilla. The uh, Camarilla, of course, wants to maintain the masquerade, and the Sabat has this uh, the Inquisition, which is very much about rooting out infernalism. Mm-hmm. See, when I think of Sabat, I have a very limited uh, knowledge of, of the masquerade, but when I think about the Sabat, I think... They're they're like the troublemakers to me. Am I am I wrong on that? No, you're you're definitely there. Um, a great great example of this is the movie The Lost Boys. Have you seen that? Uh, no, I haven't. I'm I'm guilty. <laughs> uh, that's all right. Well, basically, you've got this gang of of biker punks who are also vampires, and they go around, they cause trouble and stuff. And they're the younger ones. But there's also the uh, the head vampire who's older and more refined, and uh, that kind of shows the uh, how diametrically opposed the Sabbat is. You've got these young punks and rebels, and you've also got the older ones who like the rebelled Justicar. previously. Yeah, exactly. But now they're more alien and uh, and just powerful. Mm-hmm. Sort of like a, a tycoon who's sort of like behind the, the scenes, like so distance, they've distanced themselves from the actual violence and uh, chaos in the streets. Exactly. You've got it. So I think that covers Bilio's Brood. Moving on to Seven, these guys, I think, are uh, are an interesting antagonist that could very easily replace the Koi Jin, the, uh, the kindred of the East in Vampire the Masquerade. The reason is that they are vampires, but they want to attack all the other vampires. And it never really made much sense for the uh, Kindred of the East. They, those were always a very wonky element in the World of Darkness setting. And uh, I think this might be a better replacement just to uh, sh- make them a foil to the other Kindred. I have to say, though, regarding the Covenant, and I put this in quotations, Covenant 7... The way they're portrayed in the core Requiem book doesn't give a whole lot of information on them. In fact, it leaves it rather cryptic. Basically, all that it 
it tells you is that they're a group of vampires who are absolutely hell-bent on killing other vampires. Like, it's their mission to hunt out and kill other vampires, others of their kind. Mm-hmm. So, I got you. But well, uh, there's that's... there's actually a, there's a lot more in, if you check in the Covenant Book of Seven. That's what I'm getting at. Gotcha. But uh, that can also be very good to have this uh, element of mystery around them. Masquerade also has the Inkanu, who are very mysterious, and uh, that's worked out great for the game setting. I mean, everyone's had their own theories about them. And if we introduce the Seven, they're also very mysterious. You could perhaps draw parallels to uh, both groups, or they could just be completely independent, but this uh, this new enigma into the setting. Yeah, it's it would definitely be a uh, a great place to, you know, just uh, a great thread to jump on and see how far you can take it. Actually, and that's exactly how they they laid it out for the Requiem. They didn't tell you what Seven was. They gave you a number of different examples of what Seven could be. So if that's something you like in your Masquerade game with, say, like the Akanu, as you say, then that would be perfect because... You know, even if your players have read all the books, it's not guaranteed that they're going to be any particular thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you have anything else to add about uh, Seven or how they could be portrayed in Vampire the Masquerade? Uh, Seven, they they have some interesting uh, interesting quirks. I definitely recommend reading the book. And there's also a particular interesting uh, bloodline that actually I think would uh, lend very well to Masquerade. Uh, great. Which bloodline is that? Oh, I I can't remember it right off bat off the bat, but uh, there is a a featured bloodline in there, and even actually a discipline in there as well that goes along with the bloodline. So it's you know as if you think of Seven as just sort of a limited sort of venture into a theory of what they could be there's actually a lot of things that uh, lend to like solid gameplay as well excellent excellent now moving on from the antagonists um another very key feature to vampire the requiem is its covenants and uh i kind of sat down and was trying to figure out how these could be used because i don't see them as being new sects in Vampire the Masquerade, you can't really just stick in the Invictus and be like... There's, oh. there's sort of more like social groups, like social groups with a particular agenda rather than a total purveyance of, you know, one's uh, Requiem or the Masquerade. Exactly. I, I agree completely. I was actually looking at them as uh, political ideologies or actually just political parties. Yeah. And uh, one way I think this could be really cool is if you have them uh, inserted as secret societies... Uh, this works great for the Circle of the Crone, Ordo Dracul, Lancia, or Lancia Ooh, Sanctum. Then you would like the Shadow Cults. I'll have to check that out. Uh, where are those in? Uh, you would want to read the Maquette Clan book. It's the uh, paperback book that was released, I guess it was last year. In in the back, if you go, basically these the clan books were oriented as a bunch of uh, interviews and pieces of fiction regarding uh, the way of the particular clan's unlife. But if you flip to the back, there's sections on systems pertaining to the various clans. Uh, they actually try to bring 
give rebirth to the uh, the order of Set or the followers of Set mm-hmm. and their their I- ideas of purveying chaos in the world to achieve a means. Although those means that means may not be known at the initial point, uh, there's also the molding room, which is a sort of secret uh, Illuminati uh, that controls the media. Uh, like think think about like what if the entire media was run by vampires and everything that you saw or heard was uh, was just being rammed down your throat by a bunch of bloodsuckers. Now, yeah, it's pretty like, interesting. There's, there's a bunch of them in this book. That would definitely pull off the rather um, mysterious aspect. I think maybe even more so than the Covenants. The Covenants, they have sort of like a, a really sound setting in the public eye. I find it would be a little difficult. Well, given, you know, you can play it however you want, but uh, I would find if you're playing it as written, you might find it more or less difficult, depending on the covenant, to play to play it covertly. Yeah, you definitely have a point there. The, uh, the Lankia Sanctum, for example, is very much in the public eye. I mean, it has its own services and tries to uh, recruit members. So you got a point there. Um <clears throat> However, secret societies could be very interesting, especially you could use the uh, Ordo Dracul for this, I think. Oh, yes. And uh, you could make I'll them... I think about uh, Circle of Crone as well. Yeah, I'm going to cover them uh, in a bit okay. more detail in a second. But using these as uh, as secret societies, one very cool thing is that uh, you could actually have multiple sects have membership in it. Mm-hmm. So you might have this Ordo Dracul meeting in, say, Chicago, and you'll have Sabat Elders meeting with Camarilla Primogen, and not only would they be using their own sex influences, but they'll also be trying to achieve goals of this secret society that they're part of. And this does have uh, some root in Vampire the Masquerade. There is, for example, the uh, Les Amis Noirs from the clan book Lazambra, and that has members of both the Antichiru and Lazambra main clan. So what you're suggesting yeah. is uh, take these covenants and use them to create another sort of meta layer of intrigue among the the kindred society like now yep. not only do you have you have your bloodline you are of a sect or not of a sect and this is pretty much a cold hard fact you don't you don't play the line so much you know not if you want don't want to get diablerized but but then there comes these covenants which are sort of like a middle ground between the sects right exactly and they might not even be uh uh, supported by the sex. I mean, I don't think the uh, Camarilla or the Sabat would want this uh, this meeting place, since they already have this uh, hot war going on between the two. But elders may still join for various reasons. Mm-hmm. You could always tone down the the violence between the Sabat and the Camarilla enough so that you could get these other sort of philosophical agreements between them. But if you really want to have... Uh, a heated debate and uh, two definite sides then i can see i can see your point that it would make it uh, it would almost make it so like the puritans might look at uh, at the covenants as a sort of abomination to the set to the sects mhm yep so that's that's actually a really 
really interesting to actually sit down and think about uh, just how that would play out. Yeah, definitely. Now, before you mentioned the Circle of the Crone, and I've got to say, these guys and gals are uh, they're something that makes you really excited about this translation document because uh, Vampire the Masquerade had the Bahari, the the Lilans, the Lilith cultists, and there wasn't all that much uh, written about them, unfortunately. We, of course, had the Revelations of the Dark Mother. There was some write-ups in... Uh, definitely in Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand, which is one of my favorite source books, and I believe in uh, Sins of the Blood. But Circle of the Crone could be ported in very easily. It'll have a perfect spot for it in Vampire the Masquerade. And now we have rules to portray the rituals and other traits that have to do with this uh, covenant or sect. Not to mention also that uh, you can have Kruak and Thaumaturgy maybe even rivaling each other in uh, in strengths or origin of their power. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. Because uh, if you're familiar with Vampire the Masquerade, Lilith definitely had blood magic or some kind of crazy powers going on. But that was not the same as, say, the the blood magic known by the Tremere. Yeah, it could be something completely different. It could be two rival things. Uh, one could be, uh, I don't know, a masculine blood magic, which comes from Cain. The other one could be a feminine blood magic, which comes from Lilith. That would be actually assigning uh, masculine, feminine traits to the the different blood magics would uh, definitely mm-hmm. add a different element to it. And also, maybe even a uh, you would have certain factions who stand completely on one side or completely on the other, or people who are vampires who would try to dabble in a little bit of each. Yeah, exactly. So that's uh, most of what I have to talk about with uh, Covenants. Do you have any uh, comments, being the uh, Requiem expert here? As for porting uh, Covenants into uh, to Masquerade, I think they can work brilliantly, even with the the vampire sex of the Camarilla and the uh, the Sabbat uh, and everyone in between. It, I still think it could add a quite rich uh, alternate layer. Like when when they created them for the Requiem, like ideally it was a sort of perverse twist of like a dark mirror image of what it was to be human. And maybe these covenants are just vampires trying to get closer to what it was like to be alive, even though they'll never be able to scratch the surface. And this twisted parody is what you get. Now take that and bring all of that and all its baggage along into the masquerade. And you get quite a hefty dose of uh, socio-political intrigue. Oh yeah, definitely. Now to move on, game mechanics. I mean, this is going to be the big thing with this translation document. It's going to give us... Uh, So finally we're getting to that. And there's a lot that I don't know about uh, Vampire the Requiem, but I was looking at a couple things, and one big debate between Requiem fans and Masquerade fans has been potency or generation. And I think blood potency is a great mechanic. The problem is that generation is so ingrained into the setting and theme of Vampire the Masquerade that you can't just take it out. Yeah, it would be, be almost unreasonable to take something like that out of Masquerade. 
Right. But I was kind of thinking about it, and uh, I've always noticed that generation as a mechanic is a little broken. Uh, in Vampire the Masquerade, you spend background points to increase your character's generation. Problem with that is that if you spend points on generation, your vampire is going to be potentially more powerful, but he's also going to have less points to spend other places. So he's actually going to start off weaker, but have more potential, mm-hmm. which is just kind of weird. So I was kind of thinking about this, and I've always thought that the the current power of a vampire should be not linked to his generation, but linked to his age. Because in Vampire the Masquerade, if uh, Antediluvian just goes and embraces someone, and he comes out of his fourth generation, he shouldn't have, like, ten discipline dots and all these, like, crazy stat increases just right then and there. He has to train those over time. Mm-hmm. So what I was actually thinking was that generation would be one background point, which would tell you the maximum discipline level and the maximum amount of blood that could be spent in a round. And there would also be blood potency, which would be, it could also be called age, and it would be linked to that. And that would give you how much blood you could store, like uh, how many blood points in the vampire, and uh, other more immediate things. Uh, I can't really remember exactly what uh, those two stats deal with at the moment, but I think you can kind of see where I'm going which, with Which one, or both of them? Blood potency would have to do with how much blood could be stored. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a blood potency 5 vampire would be able to have 15 blood points? Uh, yes. And then it goes up a little... The increase is a little steeper after 5. I think. Yeah, I think 6, you can have 20, and so on and so forth. So that's what I'm kind of saying with that. So, blood- but, so you would use both systems uh, congruently... Yeah, exactly. Have one control certain aspects of the vampire condition, whereas the other would control other aspects. Right, and the reason I'm kind of thinking this is because if you have a uh, a 12th generation vampire who's been around since the Dark Ages, he somehow survived. He's going to be really powerful, and the uh, vampiric condition would have changed his body in such a way that he could hold more blood and perhaps uh, be more powerful in other ways. So that's kind of what I was thinking with that. About the idea of uh, uh, thinning your blood through torpor, like uh, the Requiem has this this constant idea that unlife takes its toll on you over time, and as your humanity drops, as your blood thickens, it becomes you're more jaded. Life is more, or the Requiem is more difficult, maybe even more morose. Not pleasant to deal with, and to get away from it, there's uh, voluntary torpor. Yeah, I gotcha, and uh, I was actually considering this. Now, in Vampire the Masquerade, a lot of Methuselahs tend to go into torpor for long periods of time, and I was thinking that maybe at uh, blood potency 8 or something, you have to start consuming vampiric blood. Uh, Human blood no longer uh, sustains you, so by going into torpor, they can decrease their blood potency at eight well you're you're generous oh okay um i think it's i think it's even you get to what was it six uh at six you human blood no longer sustains you maybe i don't know i I have a i have a particularly nasty uh, nosferatu in my uh in my requiem game and he he does nothing but drink off of vampires so 
I, I believe it's six. I think I think it's six. Not gotcha. that it particularly matters. Okay, go on. <laughs> but but by going into torpor, they can decrease their blood potency because uh, their blood will thin, which would then let them wake up and then still subsist off of human blood, mm-hmm. even if for only a little while. So yeah, I was considering that a bit, and I think that be could be very cool for the story and for the game mechanics. Definitely, I I can definitely see see where you're coming from with this. Like you know, there's also. Um, I don't know. There's, there was a Darker Days episode where they were talking about talking about this very uh, aspect of Requiem versus Masquerade and possible ways of bringing uh, bringing generation into uh, Requiem. Now, I'd also like to see how it would be conceptualized in bringing the core systems of Requiem into Masquerade along those lines. Like what you're suggesting here, just it's it sounds full of potential, and you know if White Wolf doesn't cover this, then they're obviously missing one point to cover in their book. So hopefully they touch they touch on it. Yeah, I think they will. It's definitely very important. So I think that covers both generation and blood potency. Another thing I want to talk about is uh, some of the new disciplines, especially nightmare, because boy. I don't know why this wasn't a masquerade. It's such a good idea. Having a discipline about fear and having that be a uh, just a very core element to the vampiric condition really makes a lot of sense. Making, the, creepy, making the creepy vampire dreadful. Exactly, exactly. Uh, wh- one thing I was wondering about this is uh, who would get the nightmare discipline? Would it be a, uh, it's not a core discipline to any clan and uh, it's just something that people pick up it's like some ancient teaching, or would it be best to replace some clan's discipline, maybe uh, get rid of potence for or animalism for the Nosferatu and give them Nightmare? I would I would have to agree with the latter. I think Nightmare fits nowhere better than on the Nosferatu. Uh, I may be wrong, so, you know, I don't want to get huge amounts of flames over this, but I think, personally, it belongs with the Nosferatu. Uh, that may be true, and I was uh, thinking about that, and it might not even be the uh, the best place for it, because in Masquerade, the Nosferatu, they're just hideous, and they're always going to strike fear into people because they just look disgusting. They have boils, uh, strange skin, strange facial structure. Disfigured and gross. Right, so is even the uh, correct place for it? Maybe it would be better used on some... Like, we were talking about shadow cults earlier. I think it would work very well in concert with vicissitude. Hmm. Um, shadow discipline, you know? Like, what else is more iconically creepy than shadows? Than the darkness? Oh, uh, yes, you're referring to obtenebration. Obtenebration, yes, that's right. Yes, Vic- yes. Vicissitude was a skin crafting, my mistake. Honestly, it could go very well with both of those. Uh, flesh crafting is, yeah, it's really creepy. Just having it exude fear uh, when you make like some monstrous war ghoul could be very, uh, very interesting. Although maybe unnecessary as well. Um, I was also considering that nightmare might go well with the Asimites in Vampire the Masquerade, the assassin. The clan. assassins, yes. Because their current discipline, uh, Quietus or Quietus, is. Uh, very, I want to say, peculiar. It's got this, like, silent stuff going on. It's also got blood poison. 
it's one of those disciplines where I think the writers were a little confused about what they wanted to do. Definitely sounds like it doesn't have a solid core focus. It's a little all over the place. Yeah, you're right. Now, if they had Nightmare, this could uh, give them some very interesting character because they uh, they may hunt down their enemies by uh, striking fear into them and having this this chase. Sort of cat and mouse, predator and prey. Precisely. As opposed to now, where they are the stealthy assassin. They, they're kind of like ninja vampires in a way. The only way I'm actually familiar with the Asimites is through uh, a deck of Vampire the Eternal Struggle cards I have. I actually have an Asimite deck, and I I found them very interesting, but altogether, as, as you're saying, they're unfocused. Like, they're just assassin vampires. Like, what else is there? Exactly, and uh, if you look at their current discipline spread, they have Obfuscate, Celerity, and Quetus. Now, if you were to take out Quetus and put a Nightmare, they would be fast, invisible, and strike fear into things, which would be very interesting. Instead of Potentially being... fatal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nightmare could also help them out with their assassin jobs, where they would uh, perhaps scare the guards away or... Uh, or distract them somehow. So I think it could definitely work with them. It's very, very characterful, yeah. Now that uh, now that you put it that way, I definitely see its place with the Asimites. Oh, great, because I just thought that up like 30 seconds ago. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, brilliance yep. on the fly. Exactly. All right, so we're running pretty late here, and uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up was... Uh, the age-old discussion, and this started with Vampire the Masquerade, I believe it came from LARPs. Uh, should harpies be an established position? Should the Camarilla have harpies? Now, they it's not an established position in Vampire the Masquerade. It's its more of a derogatory term. Mm-hmm. But in Requiem, it's a uh, it's an established position. It's Not necessarily true. Oh. Not necessarily true. Uh, even in Requiem, a uh, harpy... There is a formal position of harpy, which is basically your person who keeps tabs on all the social doings in the community. But there's usually these people get into this place for having a certain character or clout about them. And even a vampire who acts like a harpy can be called a, as you said, in like a derogatory manner, be called a harpy. It's a position of office, but it's also it also also can be held in negative connotation as well. Gotcha. Okay. Well, <clears throat> my solution was, uh, you know what? Just make it an established position. It's going to make it a lot less complicated to explain. Everyone will be happy. You know what? It, one comes with the other two. I found. If it's an established position, obviously the person who's taking the position is going to fit the role. Yep, you're right. And, you know, there's a whole lot of other names I could think of other than Harpy that could define uh, what it is, some of the uh, traits that go along with this particular role. So you don't necessarily need to use the the term Harpy as the derogatory statement in this case. I gotcha. All right, so... We, we spent a lot of time talking about Vampire the Masquerade, and uh, I think we're going to come back and uh, talk about Vampire the Requiem in another, another episode, I guess. Excellent. Until next time.